Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well... Oh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. If scary movies give you dread, keep you up late night in bed, here's a podcast that will help ease your mind. We'll explain the plot real nicely, then we'll talk about what's frightening so you never have to have a spooky time. It's ruined. Welcome back to Ruin. My name is Hallie. And my name is Allison. And this is the podcast where we ruin a horror movie for you every single week until the sun burns out and we all die. So like six to nine years from now, oh, probably. Jesus. Oh, God. We're I all mean, good. I'm it's... hoping for 30, but that's really, the more you read, the less 30. certain I am of that. I yeah, who do I think I am? We're going to get 30 good years left out of this no, earth. Thir- good. <laughs> I'm like, 30 years at all sounds bold. Uh, and we do ruin a movie every week, except for this week, where we have an extra bonus episode for America's birthday. Probably the ultimate horrific holiday. <laughs> Scarier than Halloween. Based in much more terror and trauma than any uh, any other uh, day could be, <laughs> probably. <laughs> I'm like, let's dig into stuff that we're not qualified to talk about. I'm like, well, Thanksgiving, you know, Memorial Day. There's a lot of terrifying. It's just as bad. Um, Um, Yeah, we wanted to bring you a little extra treat while you're out running around on your lawn, on your slip and slides. Um, Yeah. Play this at a barbecue. See see how that goes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just instead of music at a barbecue, it's just our podcast. God, that's a fun idea. Just. Just listening to like two uh, ladies talk about a movie that you have or haven't seen. <laughs> now, we went through a very complicated rubric to decide what to mm-hmm. do for 4th of July. And that rubric was what yes. horror movies take place on 4th of July. And then I Googled it. Okay, so you've got to look at all the painstaking work we put into this podcast. Yes, yes. The legwork is there. And the movie we are doing was recommended uh, by Christy uh, to us on Instagram. So thank you, Christy, for rec- uh, recommending this brilliant, important film, uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer. It is uh, from yeah. 1997, our heyday, me and Allison's heyday, I would say, yes. when we were in, I yes. believe, middle school. Yeah, and- seventh, seventh to eighth grade. This is a formative film viewing years. Yes, this is, I think, every every generation, the movies you see during puberty, which I guess is hard because every a different group of people are going through puberty every year, so it's every, every movie yeah. is formative, I suppose. But there are defining kind of, like, eras of... Absolutely. ...film. And I feel like especially horror, and this one to me, and, like, again, maybe because it's our heyday. <laughs> also, our heyday being when we were, like, 13. <laughs> um, are, like, that these movies, like, it was this movie, Urban Legend disturbing behavior. Like, there was just, like, there were, like, 20 young actors that were just cycling through, like, 15 of the same movie, it seemed like. Absolutely. And four of them star in this film. Those actors are, yes. of course, Jennifer Love Hewitt, Woo. Sarah Michelle Gellar, Ryan yes. F- Philippi, I want to say. Philippi? Philippi? And, of course, the one and only Freddie Prince Jr. I mean, mm. these are, in it's- my mind, still the biggest stars we have. Yes. Yes, to me, those are still four famous people and not uh, afterthoughts at a Hollywood party. 
which is what I think that they might oh be my God. to this generation. <laughs> I cannot believe that I have not thought of this until this moment. Literally this past weekend, I went to the Brentwood Country Mart, if you guys live in Los Angeles, to get some— I was getting shoes repaired. Oh, you know, sure. My wild and crazy weekends. And while I was getting coffee with Dave, I turn around, and who do I see? And yes, he was masked, but I could tell it was him. And also, everyone else was staring at him because it was obvious mm-hmm. it was him. Allison, I was in the same coffee shop with Freddie Prince Jr. Not even a oh, fortnight okay. ago. Well, I thought that you were going to say he was also uh, getting shoes repaired. But he might have been. Maybe that's why he yeah. was there too. We don't but know that he wasn't. Absolutely so. not. But I did see him waiting for coffee. So I, did, I know he drinks coffee. So that's like a six degrees of Kevin Bacon away from everybody. Yeah, you're basically in this movie. What coffee? Did you catch what coffee he ordered? Absolutely not. I was a mm. I was agog. I was yeah. I was starstruck, if you will, just by the top of his face because he was masked because he's not mm. uh, completely insane. Because he's great. Yeah. Uh, but we were excited to bring this to you. Also, an interesting point about this movie: it is written by Kevin Williamson, who is the same screenwriter who wrote Scream. So if oh. he actually wrote this before Scream, couldn't sell it, and then Scream, of course, ended up being successful, and then he was able to do whatever the hell he wants with the biggest yes. stars in Hollywood <laughs> and have them <laughs> all 25. be brutally murdered. And it is based yep. on a, a 1973 novel, the same name by Lois Duncan, and she actually hates the movie because they completely changed her book. And she, oh. she can't stand it. Oh, I'm interested to know what changed. Well, uh, apparently there... a lot. I guess it is uh, more of a, mer- it's like a mystery novel. And she felt like the movie is a slasher movie, which it absolutely is. Yeah. So she's like, you kind of, instead of having it be a mystery, it's just about yeah. hotties being slaughtered. And and that is yeah. a fair uh, a fair critique, she's I think. She's not wrong. Absolutely not. not. Allison, I had you watch the I Know What You Did Last Summer trailer. What are your feelings about the movie based on the trailer? I mean, I even said to you, I can't tell if I've seen this movie or not because the marketing and the, like, noise around this movie when I was Mm -hmm. 13 years old could not have been more deafening. Like, it was, I feel like it was, like, it was constantly advertised on TV. I was seeing the poster and the trailer, like, always, like, before other movies. And, like, um, I just, like, they were, like, all four of them were, like, heavily part of, like, the MTV Movie Awards uh, Mm -hmm. cinematic universe. So, like, they were kind of, like, they're, like, showing clips. They're doing parodies. They're, like, they're all presenters. They're all winning. So, like, I feel like watching this trailer, I was both um, transported back in time to being in middle school, um, which was horrific, and also was, like, this all feels very familiar, but I don't know one single thing about this movie. Perfect. That's also how I feel about a lot of movies from that era, where I'm, like, yeah. I'm pretty sure I saw it. I ever retained nothing. Um, nothing. We also like to take a baseline scary um, about a film's premise. So, Allison, how scary... Do you find the premise of being the bad guy? Ooh, very scary. Mm-hmm. Because guilt is terrible. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't even like when like I've like made someone feel bad. I'm like, oh no, this is awful. Yeah. So let alone murder or other uh, maimings, I feel like it's terrible. Yeah, I, I you know I listen to a lot of true crime, and I am always sort of shocked by scenarios where I think that they probably, someone did get away with murder. Because I know that mm-hmm. if I was even involved re- remotely in this kind of situation, the no. second anyone asked Mm-mm. me one question about anything, nope. I would be sobbing, hyperventilating. Yeah. I don't have the constitution to cover up a murder. Yeah, no, I would disintegrate under the slightest of pressure. Right, yeah. Like, it would just be completely, it'd be over. I'd be like, I'll tell you everything. 
Exactly. And that's why we're put, we're recording this so that when the cops hear it, they think, oh, well, they couldn't have done it. But then, of right. course. Exactly. It's all, this is a red herring. And then finally, uh, based solely on uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt's appearance mm-hmm. on the MTV Music Awards in 1997, <laughs> what do you think the twist will be in I Know What You Did Last Summer? Guess the twist. I mean, the trailer lets us think that at some point it could be one of them that's terrorizing mm-hmm. everybody. But I feel like it's going to be like some out-of-left-field third party. I, I, those, those are both two spectacular guesses. Okay, great. And speaking great. of spectacular, please enjoy the fireworks. At least in LA, I'm sure there will be pretty much 72 hours of fireworks going on. <laughs> yes, same with New York. It's a little ahead of the holiday, but um, kick back, relax, open up a beer. Keep flipping those burgers because you're at a barbecue listening to this. Again, hello to everyone at your barbecue. We're yeah, sorry that fun. we're being played now, but also we're about <laughs> to tell you this, the plot of a movie. Yes, could you just watch it? But that's the whole point of our podcast. Right, so, you're so not you going don't to. have to. Curl up with, uh, I would say, 30 to 40 steamed crabs. This is a very crab-heavy mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. Allison, I Great. feel like you're, it reminded me of your upbringing. I'm ready to talk about crabs. <laughs> I hope that doesn't get pulled out of context. Pop open a crab and go to town because we are about to ruin. Pop open a crab. That's how we say it. Pop open a crab. I, you know, I wasn't raised in Maryland, but I'm pretty sure. Are you from Maryland or Massachusetts? Maryland. Great. <laughs> this, the crab's date, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we're all crabs. It's all crabs there. Please pop open a crab and enjoy as we ruin I Know What You Did Last Summer. We open on a man in fishing boots sitting on a rocky cliff overlooking a sheer drop off to the ocean. He holds in his hand a medallion. I don't know what the word for this is, but you like spin the medallion and when it spins, it says, I love you. But then if you just have it resting, it looks like it's just the bottom or top half of the phrase. This is a very, I feel like in the 90s, necklaces had a lot going on. There were a lot of different options. Remember those necklaces you could get at kiosks at the mall where they would write your name on a grain of rice and then like put it in Do I? Was I obsessed with them? Everyone I knew had one. I still don't know how they were able to do it. I, it. It boggles my mind. Like that, and then also like all of the all of the clay that was like yes. uh, made into a like a. It looked like a um, like a giant Swiss roll that they cut, and then uh, each each disc had a, like a beautiful design that was made by rolling it up. I guess they were just, like oh, absolutely. I guess they were like throwback seventies type of things. Like I because there was yeah. a lot of clay. There was a lot of like glass beads. The nineties were pretty tapped into the seventies. So I think I know what you mean, but let's uh make sure when this drops that we uh post it in Instagram. I, I also want to say I was in youth group around this time with a uh kid named Chanez. And he, again, not to date ourselves, but we would shop a lot, you know, from Delia's or something. It would be mm-hmm. like a lot of catalog or magazine shopping. Mm-hmm. And yes, he came to use and he had a pentagram necklace. And I was like, <gasps> that's the devil symbol. I didn't, I thought it was cool. If anything, yeah, that's what he was doing. He's like, oh my God, I didn't know. I just thought it looked good. And I was oh. like, what a beautiful, like 12 year old thing. It was like, oh no, I saw it like in a magazine. And I, now I have the symbol of the devil at youth group. Yeah, a girl who was wearing, like, you know, a, a sweater vest with no shirt under it and carpenter jeans had this necklace on, and I thought it looked cool. Like, And now the devil got, the devil, that's how the devil gets inside that's, your body. That's how the devil gets you. It's uh, Argyle sweater vests worn as shirts. 
So we see our our gentleman. He's obviously very sad. He is drinking again on a sheer cliff, like leading to a drop off. And as this all now feels on him. Yeah, and he as he drinks, he's startled by a fireworks display. It is the Fourth of July in beautiful Southport, mm. North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And we meet um, three of our four protagonists: Julie, who is of course um, Jennifer Love Hewitt. Ray, who is played by Freddie Prince Jr., and Barry, Ryan Felipe. And they're watching from a balcony above the audience as Helen, played by Sarah Michelle Geller, competes for the title of Croker Queen, um, okay. which is a beauty pageant they have every year. I It says Croker Queen. There's not a lot of frog imagery, so I'm not exactly sure what croakers referred to. But Helen comes out, and she just destroys the competition. Like, she's answering questions. Everyone loves her, and she walks away with the crown, and she sort of, um, you know, she t- tells Julie, you know, like, I'm going to go away. I'm going to be a professional actress. I'm going to be incredibly successful. And people don't understand how much of that has to do with how good your hair is. You know, it's all about the do. And she's, she's not and wrong. Ju- yeah. And Julie, who's sort of, I think, sort of like, because she's the brunette, sort of like right. more of the feminist, like, oh my gosh, I'm in sexist overload even being here, you know. Um, but they're all have just graduated high school. They're sort of having their last summer. Uh, Helen and Julie are best friends. Uh, Julie is dating Ray, and Helen is dating Barry. So it's sort of like, oh my god, like we're doing it, like we're finally going to go away Wait, and who like who again? live our lives. Ray, Ray is Ray is Freddie Prince Jr. Freddie Prince Jr. So he's dating uh, Julie, who is uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt. Okay, it's and blonde. Ryan it's, it's two. It's two brunettes together. Okay. Two blondes, blondes together, br- which nazis. is the way it should be. Okay, yes, I don't yes. want to see if I, I don't. You dare put no. a redhead in because then I have to redo the whole uh, configuration. Yeah, which ruins the entire configuration. Um, Helen yeah. has okay, a. So that's easy to remember. Yes. So Helen has an older sister, Elsa, who she kind of blows off. She's like the frumpier older sister. Meanwhile, she's like just a blonde woman. They put glasses on. Who's like a supermodel? Stunning. Yeah. And. Um, <laughs> And Julie gets asked out by this guy, Max, who is played by uh, Johnny Galecki from Big Bang Theory. And Max is clearly in love with Julie, but Julie's like, well, I kind of already got a boyfriend, and, like, you're just some guy I know from school. And uh, Barry, who is already wasted, ends up getting into a fight with Max, shoving him, and Ray has to break it up. So Ray's sort of the level-headed, like, nice boyfriend, you know, as far Mm -hmm. as we know. Sure. So they decide we're going to peel off from the festivities. You know, there's a big crowd on the boardwalk. And, like, again, everyone's cracking open a crab. Which that's what, how people say it. And yeah. they drive down a very precarious, winding coastal highway to Dawson's Beach. Great. And uh, they build a fire on the beach, and they're telling the story of the, the hook for a hand. Are you familiar with that urban legend, Allison? So, like, I remember it being, like, it was on the car. It was like something. It had mm-hmm. to do with a car. Like it's because it's like somebody like stops and like goes back or something like. That. I don't really remember the specifics of it, but I know a car is involved. Absolutely. Now you're telling it like Ray tells us. So Ray's sort of ins- insisting that's the way. You know, they get back to the house, and it turns out there's a hook on the door handle. And yes. everyone else is like, no, the guy gets out to look, and then they hear a dripping on the hood, and, and they're like, no, it's not a dripping, it's a scratching because he's being hung from the tree and he's decapitated. So they're all arguing about like. The hook for a hand legend. Sure. Um, which is kind of a fun, you know, setting up what our film is going to yes. be. Um, and Julie's like, that that story is just to warn young girls about the dangers of having premarital sex. The hook is a phallic symbol, you know. Oh God. And Ray says, you know, a lot of urban legends are based on real life incidents, you know, or mm-hmm. are they? I don't think that one is, but I, I I could be wrong. No, I don't I mean, whatever. Lots of people have been murdered over the years, so. Um <laughs> 
They that, all that's true. That's a good point. Every <laughs> religion is based on someone being murdered, and that happens all the time. Yeah. Um, so we find out that Helen and Ray are headed to, they're both headed to New York, and Julie's going to Boston for college, and Barry, we uh, he's going to college somewhere, but Barry's like this spoiled, drunk, narcissistic, rich boy, which is why Ryan Felipe is perfect casting. He's like, that. he's the prototypical version of that in every movie of this era. I mean, Cruel Intentions, come on, one of the best. Right, and and it's sort of like implied, like whatever he ends up doing, he's going to be fine. But he's also going to be yes. a complete asshole. Yes. Um. So they're on the beach, and the two couples sort of break off. Um. Helen is telling, and Barry are wasted by the fire, and she's telling him like, "I'm going to be on uh, Days of Our Lives, and you're going to be the a linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers. We're going to have three children, and then you're going to go to rehab. But then after that, we're going to be happy together." And um, Ray and Julie sort of sneak away. And the implication is that Julie has not had sex before, so this is the first time they're having sex. And they sneak away, and it's like, you know, will will our relationship survive this? I can't say, but in the moment, while we're near the hull of a decrepit, falling-apart boat on this beach, let's do this. And... um, Ray really thinks that their relationship is going to survive. He tells her, like, high school sweethearts have the higher likelihood of success than any other relationship, and then they pork on the beach, and it's beautiful. When they go to leave— Is that grounded in any fact? <laughs> you know, I like to—I be- guess, you know, I don't know the science of it, but I suppose at least historically in our country when people were getting yeah. younger, the statistics would probably bear that out. Yes. Now I sure. don't know. No, I don't know if that's true now. But if it's like the late 90s and it's like, okay, the generations before, you're sort of just getting married to people yeah. after high school. But then look how that turned out. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like now divorce is, you know, everyone's got to have one or two under their belt. At and least. that's not a criticism at all. No, just because fact. So they go to leave and Barry is so wasted. They manage to get the keys away from him. But he's like, he's in the back of the car as they drive again on this precarious road. I looked up and they shot it in California because like, I'm not familiar with North Carolina, but they do. I don't think they have those sheer drop off cliffs. North Carolina is, is all flat. Yeah. Like, at the beach. Like, like the coastal part of North Carolina is like below sea level. <laughs> I think it's like when we did Jeepers Creepers and they were shooting it in Florida and they kept having to make the film look darker because Florida oh, yeah. was just so sunny and nice looking. Yeah. Similarly, they couldn't shoot North Carolina because you just wouldn't believe this kind of thing would happen there. Yeah, there's no cliffs in North Carolina. Um, so Ray's driving the car, but, you know, Barry is screaming. He's, like, changing. He's, like, splashing liquor all over the car. And he's like, I don't let anyone drive my car, you know. And he's uh, he sticks, he jumps out of the sunroof, and he's screaming, and he's, like, flailing around, and he drops his liquor bottle into Ray's lap. And, of course, oh God. you know, Ray looks down, and in that moment, something or someone steps in front of the car, and they just slam right into it. And they screech to a halt, and they're like, it was just a dog. It was just a deer. And then Julie picks up a bloody boot. It's like, oh, a dog doesn't wear boots. A deer Neither wouldn't wear deer. boots. It's no. a person. It's so a person. they find uh, a person laying in the highway. It's the body of a man. It appears to be the man we just saw on the cliffs. And he's co- his face is covered in blood. We can't really make him out. And they have Ray check to see if he has a pulse, and things do not look good. So Julie's like, we have to call the police, you know, whatever. And Barry says, we're not calling anyone. And Barry sort of lays out, he's like, I'm drunk, this is my car. Even though Ray was driving, they're not going to believe him. There's booze everywhere. Yeah, they're teenagers. Yeah, I dropped booze. Also, we're dumb as hell, you know. Right, yeah, we're idiots. 
our li- all of our lives are going to be ruined. And Julie has a scholarship to go away to college. And, you know, all of them are sort of like, well, what should we do about it? Julie's the only one who consistency, consistently is like, we cannot, we can't just hide this. We can't just cover this up, yeah. you know. And Ray eventually turns to her and was like, I'm not like you guys. Like, Julie, you have, like, a family who take care of you and Barry and Helen are rich. Like, I have nothing. You know, like, I work on the docks. I don't, I've never met my dad. I don't have, if, if anyone's going to go down for this, it's not going to be Barry. It's going to be me because I was driving also. Like, and he's so he's correct. Tr- yeah, but also he is sort of saying, like, so it's, we're not going to tell anyone that we murdered somebody inadvertently. Yes. Oh, yeah, no, it's terrible, but he's correct. But I guess maybe that's my, I, maybe I'm making assumptions. Allison, if you were in this situation, would you, would you call the cops? Yes, absolutely. I mean, too. I can't hide a body. I can't cover up oh, a crime. He's not correct to be like, this is how, like, but he's correct he's, that, like, yes, he's it correct would, his life it would absolutely fall to him, and the others would have uh, much lighter yes. consequences. Just then, another car drives towards them down the road. And they're able to sort of, like, roll the body behind the guardrail. Oh, my God. As the driver stops to help them. And it's Max, Johnny Glicky from earlier. And he's just, like, already so antagonistic. And he, like, see, he sees Barry's car. He's like, Daddy's going to be mad. So he sees the car is wrecked, but he assumes Barry's just drunk. And, like, they slammed into the guardrail or something. He does not see the body. But he, Ray comes over to the car and Max tells him, you could wipe that my shit don't stink smile off your face. You almost got that rich boy act figured out. So we're to understand Max and Ray sort of grew up, you know, they're like the wrong side of the tracks. Yes. Dock workers, sons. Got it. And so, and Ray's the only one who's kind of trying to like date above his, you know, his class. Class. And Max's like, I've got you pegged. Don't think I don't. Luckily, uh, Julie says, hey, just keep it moving. And Max drives on, you know, not thinking any too much of it. Right. So um, they take the body down to the docks to throw it in the water. And uh, right before they do, Julie sees that there's a tattoo on his arm. And she stops and she's like, should we check his wallet to know who he is? Which is another interesting question. Helen's like, I do not want to know. You know, oh. Barry says, let's just pretend he was a killer with a hook and we were actually preventing, we're actually helping the world. Let's pretend he was a bad okay. person. Way to go, Insane. Barry. Way to rationalize yourself into... Uh, I know covering up your a murder that you committed. And Ray, because he's not a completely bad person, Ray is finally like, no, you're right. This is a bad idea. We can't do this. And Helen says, fine, I'll do it my fucking self. And Helen reaches down to roll the body into the water and the body sits up and grabs at her. The guy's not dead. <gasps> but she shoves him in the water and he grabs the crown off of her head. So he is now oh, holding her he coveted the crown. Croaker queen crown. So Barry screams, no, but in a very funny way where he's, like, exasperated. Like, he's not, he's just like, God damn it. He jumps in the water, and he has to, like, pull the uh, crown off out of the body's hand. And oh, as God. soon as he does, the body's eyes open and looks at him. And he, he, <gasps> he goes back to the surface. He does not tell him he saw the body's eyes open. This, See, again. This guy. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is not a good guy, in the words of Frank Costanza. Um, that's like, it's like, I'm already now, like, I hope you are the first, like, victim of what's coming towards you. Well, if you didn't think that already, Barry, as they get in the car, tells them, we never speak of this again, and we make a pact that we take this to our graves, and they all agree, except for Julie, who's, like, uncertain. Barry grabs her by the throat and, like, slams her against the car, 
and it's like we take this to our grave let me hear it let it go barry you fucking say it okay barry we take this to the grave it'll be okay and julie's so disgusted that ray's just like let this happen that she gets in the car and you find out we are now one year later it is about to be 4th of July. Wow, okay. Julie is Love packing that. up. Uh, her roommate, Deb, is helping her pack up. A roommate, Deb, who gets two lines, like you see her one other time in the movie, to go back to Southport, and Julie really does not want to go back. And Julie looks terrible. Like, she's gray. She's obviously been racked by guilt this whole year. Yes. And I mean, I would be incapable of living my life. Exactly. I would have to go to the police eventually. You know, I wouldn't be able yeah. to do it. And yeah. so she goes back to, and so this is the first time she's been back to Southport. And we guess where I think like she was stay, she stayed to take some classes, but then the, the summer session ends right before 4th of July. So she's getting there right in time. And she shows back up and uh, Julie's father has died, but her mother's really trying to connect with her. Like you haven't called, like you haven't visited, like, are you, are you on drugs? That's like the immediate, in every horror movie, it's like, are you on drugs? Like, right. Well, to be it's fair, like, that's the more realistic uh, assumption right, than, than like, covering up a secret murder that my friends and I swore we'd never tell anyone about. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, also it turns out Julie's grades are tanking and she sort of has like a semester to get her grades up or she's going to lose her scholarship. So you can understand her mom being sort of up in her business. And yes. her mom's like, I, you know, a, a piece of mail came for you. Also, I got your cre- uh, report card. It's bullshit. And Julie's really distressed by this, but then she opens up the letter she receives, which has no stamp, no postage, no return address. And she opens it up, and Allison, what does this letter say? I know what you did last summer. Which brings me to my first question. What would you do? What would you do? I mean, this is such an easy one, which is I would immediately be like, fuck the pact, fuck these other people, my life is ruined, we killed somebody, I'm going to the police and confessing to like, and telling them what happened. I also implies it's like you can never tell. Not that I like tell my mother everything or whatever, but I just got to think I would have to talk to my parents face to face, having known I was complicit in a murder, and not eventually tell them. I don't think I'd be capable of it. I'd be running upstairs like, "Mom, I have something to tell you." Yeah, yeah, I would need to tell my mom. Yeah, and my dad. He's like the problem solver. Making my cat happy is my number one priority, and Fresh Step Out Stretch Litter helps me do just that. Meet Mr. Mittens. Mitty, for short. Ah! Mitty is happiest when his litter box is clean and fresh. And Fresh Step Out Stretch is amazing at absorbing waste and odor. We sure have found our common ground, haven't we? Happy cat, happy life. Find Fresh Step Out Stretch at a store near you. Fresh Step is a registered trademark of the Clorox Pet Products Company. Certain trademarks used under license from the Procter & Gamble Company or its affiliates. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Um, so the next day, Julie heads into town and she goes to the clothing store, which is kind of like a small town department store owned by Helen's parents. Um, and we see like everyone in town's like putting up decorations, like the parade's going to be the next couple days. Oh, God. And she finds Elsa, who is a huge bitch for no reason. And she says, oh, hey, could I get Helen's number in New York? Because I really need to talk to her about the the fact that someone clearly knows we killed that guy. And Elsa says, she doesn't have a number in New York. She works in women's perfume, 10 feet to your right. 
And she looks over. Turns out Helen did go to New York. But again, she's so racked with guilt, she had to drop out and come back. Yeah. She wasn't able to do it. And they have this, like, very awkward reunion. And uh, Julie shows Helen the note. And we see Elsa kind of eavesdropping from the dressing rooms and then sort of disappearing behind a doorframe. Helen Mm -hmm. is dismayed but not that shocked. Where it's like, okay, well, we all knew this was going to happen. Like, something was going to blow in our fucking faces. Same. So they decide to go to Barry's house. Of course, it, uh, Julie doesn't know this, but finds out that Helen and Barry also broke up, just like how she and Ray broke oh, up. Wow. Like yeah. they they all they have not spoken basically since then. Like their friendships and their relationships fell apart. Understandably, yes. understandably, this is too much stress, especially for like eighteen year old friendship. Exactly, which I feel like is already kind of fraught. Right, and it's like, as a friend, you just talk about the things you have in common, and if you're not allowed to talk about this, what's there to talk about? This you is know. the biggest thing you have in common with your friends. If you guys collectively uh, cover up a uh, manslaughter, and then eventually, I guess it is just kind of murder, because they throw them in the river. Yes. Um, or the ocean. Um, like, that's the thing you would have, the, like, that's what you have in common. Exactly. It's not that you went to the same school. It's not that you guys all like the same band. It's that you murdered someone together. <laughs> So they go to Barry's house, and because he's an absolute prick and absolutely going to die during this film, he says, this is nothing. I know what you did last summer. What a crock of shit. And he's basically suggesting, how do we know this note is even about that guy we killed? You know, he says to Julie, you did a lot of things last summer. And Julie says, well, only one murder comes to mind. <laughs> and they get into this big fight. He's like, this is bullshit. Again, he his reaction is to fight. You can't fight the right. fact that you killed somebody, you know? Right. Not that in this is always way. going to win. Right. Uh, he also had a fight where he says, uh, you both look like shit run over twice. Because Julie and Helen do look physically bad because obviously they have, you know, actual guilt yeah. and feelings. Barry looks Conscience. fucking awesome. He's at the gym every day. Like, he looks yeah. great because he has compartmentalized to the point uh, where he does not feel it anymore. So they get to a fight, but then Julie informs them that she basically kept track of the news, and it turns out the guy they killed was named David Egan. And his body was found three weeks after they dumped him. He was caught in a shrimp net. And uh, I was like, Helen and Barry not read the paper, but like, okay, it was before the internet. Yeah. Maybe you didn't, you know, have a, a subscription. And so he, the police assumed, okay, it's an accidental drowning. I'm assuming all the other damage, like maybe he fell off a boat or something, because he did drown. Like, he was alive, and they dumped him in. And so that's Barry's thing. It's like, we did kill this guy. Like, we could say the car accident was an accident, but we did kill him. And they're like, well, Barry, that was your idea, bitch. Like, yes, we did. (laughs) But he's right. Yeah, we did that. But he, it's like, you could have helped this person. He was alive. You could have dragged him out of the water and then gone to prison. You chose instead right. to dump this critically injured person in the water and the then o- he drowned. Into the ocean. Yeah. Um, and so uh, they're all trying to figure out, okay, so if somebody, if somebody would know, who would it be? And their first guess is, what if it was Max? What if he did see that we had hit somebody or he figured it out later, having come across the, us? It, like, did Max send the letter? Exactly. That's so is he doing it got. to fuck with us? Um, and so That they would go, make Max also very fucked up. <laughs> like, Let me tell you, everyone in this movie is some kind of fucked up. Like, yeah, everyone is, does not way. react to things in a way where it's like, just don't try to cover up a murder. Just don't right. do this to yourself. Someone tell someone the truth. <laughs> yeah. So it's off to the 4th of July parade preparations. And there's Fun like face. a giant fish float. 
And Barry insists they go down to, um, like, I don't know what it's called, but it's essentially a big building where all the fishermen take their fish to put it on ice or to, like, immediately, like, fr- yes. flash freeze it or boil mm-hmm. it or prepare it. A fish a fish warehouse is what I've chosen to call it in my notes. I, I think that that is an absolutely reasonable thing to call it. Fish warehouse, fish factory. The fish I factory. Like also. So Barry's like, I'm going to go chat with Max. And because Barry's an absolute lunatic, he just goes in there and fucking slams Max against like a giant piece of ice and grabs a fish hook and is like, if you ever threaten us again, I will fucking kill you. And ends up cutting Max, like slashing him in the face. And it's like, if he is the person saying the note, then he's definitely going to kill you guys. Right. Right. Enjoy the cold embrace of the grave, Barry. Um, and then luckily <laughs> they run into Ray. So it turns out that he has his own fishing boat and he, you know, he grew up around boats and he didn't really know his dad, but he knew his dad was a fisherman. So I was like, having being 19 and being a successful fisherman seems like a pretty successful, like good for him, I guess. I, I yeah, don't know. Yeah, that's something. Um, so Helen and Barry like go home and Julie catches up with Ray and Ray's very much like, um, you know, like, I wanted to talk to you. Like, I know you hold me responsible. And Julie says, I am responsible for my own actions, but I also don't want to know you. And she leaves. And so okay. her thing is very much like, I do not want to be friends. This is not about that. We're just trying to figure out who's sending the note. This is not about yes. us rekindling our friendships or our relationships. Unfortunately, poor Max, he's like angrily boiling some crabs for the 4th of July. <laughs> <laughs> and in the steam, it sort of obscures his vision. He doesn't see that there a figure in a fisherman's coat, like a rain slicker and a hat, has grabbed the fish hook, and he just fucking swings it, stabs through Max's throat, and drags what? him away into the steam of the crab boil. Why? Does no one else work here? Allison, right. I don't know. I and like. I'm I don't like, know. I need a motive. I need something. Um, a killer's got to kill, and Max just happened yeah. to be the first on sure. the list. Um, that night, Barry goes to his gym. Again, he got to let all that aggression out. And um, when he goes back to his locker, he sees a Polaroid of his car, and he turns it over, and it says, I know. So <gasps> Barry, he's literally just wearing a towel, like, tries to hunt this, like, figure that he keeps seeing walk through his gym. And by, but by the time he gets back to his locker, it's open, his coat is gone, and his car keys are gone. So he oh. runs outside, and his car is being stolen. So not only is this killer already murdered somebody that we've seen, he is a car thief on top of everything else. Grand Theft Auto. Murderer edition. That, that because, might be what Grand Theft Auto was. <laughs> yeah. You are just the murderer running down Barry. Yeah. And so, of course, uh, Barry tries to, like, essentially face off against a car, and the creepy figure driving the car not only slams his car into Barry, but essentially slams through the uh, wall of the fish warehouse, throwing Barry's body through into a ton of debris, stands over him, and you assume he is about to gut this motherfucker. Luckily, in the morning, Julie arrives at the local hospital. Helen and Ray are already there. Barry is alive, but he's extremely pissed, and he still refuses to go to the cops. Julie's only injury being hit by the car? Yes, yeah. So he was okay. not stabbed. So it's not like, he wasn't like stabbed, right? Okay. And Barry's thing, like, this guy could have killed me, like, right then. He right. didn't. He's just fucking around. And Julie's like, well, his kind of fucking, fucking around is driving you through the side of a building, dude. Like, get, the <laughs> yeah. jig is up. Like, he is going right. to do this to all of us, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to survive that. I'm petite, you know? No. <laughs> She's so small. 
And so the, for the first time, you know, they're talking. Barry says, I didn't see his face. I just know he was wearing a rain slicker. And Ray's like, oh, good, because we live in a quaint little fishing town. So that should uh, help us narrow it down. And Barry <laughs> says to him, well, we all know you have a slicker, Ray. And that's the first time we have somebody suggest, Ray, where have you been? What are your motivations? Yeah. But Ray, of course, is like, fuck you. And he's sort of coming around to Julie's plan to tell the police. But Barry is still yes. like, we are not doing it. If this guy wants to fuck with us, he's not going to the police. So we'll just confront him ourselves. Um, and so— Great Julie, idea. Yeah, and Helen reasonably thinks, okay, it's got to be a friend or a family member of David Egan. So we just have to do some research about David Egan and find out who that could be to the local sure. library that they can access online from home on a laptop. Yes. Perfect. I only Great. care about accessing the local library. Yes, local libraries are the only uh, primary— <laughs> source location that I would like people to be using in horror movies. Right. I don't even want, it's like, if you could be on a laptop, I don't want you to say I'm on the internet. I want you to say I'm accessing the local library from my laptop. Yes. Correct. Yes. I've got digital microfiche <laughs> coming in through Ethernet. That's what I want the, res the research element of this to be. So they discover uh, in library files that David Egan's fiance, Susie Willis, died actually two years ago. So he was driving... The car okay. went off that same road near Dawson's Beach. He was able to okay. get out, and his fiancée, Susie Willis, died. And it sort of would explain why we saw, like, why we saw that figure on the bluff drinking and sort of looking bummed. Yeah, why he was so depressed. Yeah. And Julie's like, oh, I remember that tattoo of Susie's name on his arm. So they're like, okay, he, he's only, his only living relatives are his mother, Claire, and his sister, Melissa, Missy Egan. So they're like, we're going to go talk to them out in the middle of nowhere and try to figure out if no. they might be doing this. Meanwhile, we've already seen the killer, and we know it has to be like a man of considerable size, but, you know, we yeah, don't Yeah, I don't feel like it's going to be a small, older woman. And I'll tell you who it's definitely not going to be, and that's Anne Heche, who plays Missy Egan. <laughs> and let me tell you, if you're going to cast a spooky, only in 1997, if you're going to, like, uh, cast a spooky rural country butcher, are you going to cast Anne Heche with a pixie cut? Yes. You're just like, could you get someone else in here, like some like a hulking woman who maybe it would seem like maybe she could have done it? Yeah. But she looks great. Nope. Just a tiny little actress. And they're able to bluff their way inside Missy's home by saying their car's broken down, they need to call AAA. And she's like, okay, two teenage girls, like I believe it, you know. And while they're there, of course, Helen sees a rain slicker. That means nothing, because we do know we live in a fish town, but yes. you don't you hate it to is, see it. It is not great. It turns out that uh, the father has passed away and the mother is in some sort of home. So Missy is more than willing to spill her guts and like talk about her, her brother dying and and you know, and everything. And so there's they kind of like very easily insinuate themselves in this woman's life. They have both lied about their names, so she, she wouldn't be able to easily find them, you know? Right. And so they're trying to talk about it, and and they're like, you know, because uh, they're like, oh, if David Egan's father's dead, maybe it's, it couldn't be the father. He didn't have any brothers. So, like, did he have any, like, really close friends? And Missy says, actually, yes. Like, he had a friend that visited at, like, just pay his respects after David died. His name was Billy Blue, and we honestly, we started dating for a little bit, and then he kind of ghosted me. And Missy's obviously very lonely. And yes. so Julie and Helen are like, bye, bitch. Like, we pumped you for all the information we could get. Good luck having a yeah. terrible, sad life where your whole family's dead or in a, a care facility. So they bounce. <laughs> and they get home. And uh, she drives, uh, Julie drives Helen to her house. And Julie's, like, devastated. She's like, 
we destroyed that woman's life. Like, they, you know, like that, we did that. It helps us. I don't think we're that powerful, Julie. You're giving us too much credit. You did kill someone. I, I don't think yeah, Julie's you, wrong about this. You killed one of her loved ones. Like, yeah. okay, you, you kind of ruined part of her life. Like, in any other situation, I would say, okay, you're right. I'm overstating things. If you murder someone, that is something yeah. that could ruin someone's life. Yeah, I think that that counts. And Helen says, I, I miss you. I, I wish we could be friends again. And Julie just is like, I can't do it. Like, all of our friendships are now tied up in this. Like, I, I'm just going to drop you off. Unfortunately, Helen heads up to bed after drinking a full Diet Coke, which looks so good. Wow. And wow. you sort of see in her house, like, her dad's watching the baseball game, and he doesn't even acknowledge her when she comes in the door. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. he's so engrossed, he mm-hmm. doesn't even acknowledge that a mass, that a man in a rain slicker and a giant hat and a hook also walk in immediately after her. And Dude. then hides in her closet. The man in the slicker hides in her closet? Yes, as Helen goes okay. to sleep. And before she, before she like, conks out, Elsa comes in. And she's like, I need you to open the store tomorrow. And Helen says, I have to ride in the parade. I was last year's croaker queen. You know, she's like furiously, Helen's furiously brushing her, her beautiful blonde hair. And Elsa's like, yes. you're so pathetic. Like, you're such a has-been. Like, you're just living this fantasy world. Like, you're not so great now. Now you work in the store like I do. You're like, you're obsessed with your hair. It's ridiculous. In the morning, Helen mm. wakes up to discover, worse than being killed, she's been <gasps> given a terrible haircut. Oh, no. And there's a message on her mirror and lipstick that says, soon. And she punches the mirror and screams, which is a fabulous oh moment. That's- so I'm like, are we to think that the killer waited in her closet all night just to give her a bad haircut and write soon? Did he have to poop or pee? Why didn't he just kill well, her or, or stab I, or do something? Kill her father, kill her Elsa or something, you know? Right. It's so much work and so much sacrifice just to give somebody a haircut. And to, like, kind of taunt them. I also think she, if someone were to give you a haircut at night, you would wake up. You would wake I, up. You would definitely, and especially if you were sleeping on a full diet Coke. That's not, that's not deep REM sleep. You were too caffeinated oh, yeah. to, like, be fully out. Oh, yeah, I'd be dancing on the ceiling. Me too. So, Julie, uh, Helen is in a panic. She calls Julie. Julie leaps her car to speeds over. But she keeps hearing, like, a weird, like, rattling noise from the trunk. And she looks in the back, and there's a hat she does not recognize. Which, oh. enough to send chills if you're spying, no. like a straw even, hat. Even just a rogue hat will send me over the edge. And Allison, I haven't killed anybody. Allison, she stops her car. She pops open her trunk. There's Max's dead body inside. And he's wearing Barry's jacket. But even worse, what is Max's dead body absolutely covered in, Allison? Oh, no. Oh, no. Fish? You, you, it's crabs. Crabs are drunk as well. Crabs don't ruin crabs. Crabs are wonderful. Is that the crab's fault? Yeah, no. They're oh, just pop open a hot fresh crab. This is hot red This crab? episode's yeah. brought to you by Cra- crabs, crabs Incorporated. The concept yes. of crabs. <laughs> concept so of crabs. Of course, All she, crabs. She slams the trunk. She runs over to get Helen and Barry at Helen's house. They run back. By the time they come back, that trunk <gasps> is totally empty. Other than normal I mean, like, trunk things. I would also not have left. The car. Just drive the like, car. They're already just dead. Drive the, the crabs car. can't stop the car. Yeah. Right. And like, and like, who knows? Like, the last thing you need is like somebody, like, God forbid, like somebody like accidentally like hits it while they're driving by and like the trunk opens or like, oh, if that's your a mom, bad look like, for you. Absolutely. That's bad. You get really like, Whose car is this? Well, there's a dead guy covered in crabs in it. So let's definitely <laughs> find out whose it is. And also, I think like, even if they were to think the killer came back, got all the crabs, got his body in the middle of the day on like a suburban street, there would at no least one be saw the that? smell of crabs. 
Like, yes. I just, like, you, there would still be the evidence that dozens of crabs in a dead body. You'd be like, oh, well, it reeks. I believe you. Yes. But Barry's yes. like, no, you made it up. It's like, bitch, you got attacked yeah. and knocked through a wall. Like, why are you thinking she's making this up? Right. Why would she? I don't know. I don't know. So then there's this iconic moment. You probably saw it on the MTV Movie Awards where Julie turns and she screams to the sky like, well, if he's going to kill us, just kill us. And she goes, what are you waiting for, huh? What are you waiting for? It's a great question. So that scene. Now, I heard this on another podcast, so I have no... Uh, I don't know if it's true, and I forgot to look it up before we did the episode. That's, and that's the kind of stuff we, that's you, the kind we of deep promised research. you on our podcast. Absolutely. That's that's the kind of didn't access my local library on my laptop research that comes <laughs> to the, that this podcast brings you. Um, that that scene was directed by a kid who won a contest? Yes. I have also heard this. I don't know if this is true. I'm looking on the website... And my website, I do be Wikipedia. I'm not coming up with anything off the top, I'll be honest. Wait, I've got an AV club. Uh, Great. Here's a reminder that I know what you did last summer's best scene was apparently pitched by a kid. Okay, great. So some kid won a contest to be on set that day. And since it is, I guess the novel it's based on is a YA novel, which makes sense that that woman would right. be angry that it became a slasher film and not just a mystery. <laughs> um, and that the kid thought it would be interesting uh, to have her character start screaming in the street uh, and though the cast and crew decided to just humor him at first, they realized that it was actually doing that this was doing amazing. <laughs> um, so there's not a ton of evidence, but that is something that, that is something that she says. Jennifer Love Hewitt has confirmed. Well, shout out to that kid, whatever their name yes. is. I hope you're doing well. Hope you have a, yes. You're you're being rewarded for your um, ideas in adulthood by people remembering your name because we don't know who you are. No, we don't know who you are. Even even the the AV Club article, shout out to the AV Club, uh, just referred to him as, in quotes, that kid. So Yeah, we, I feel know, like the fact that there's so little detail makes me question this story a little mm-hmm. bit, but, but I, I do will accept want it. to believe it. Yeah. I want to believe it, and therefore and I will. And I will, exactly. So, so Barry, Helen, and Julie meet up with Ray, and Barry immediately punches Ray in the face and was like, I know it was you. Great. What other weird fishermen are there? Well, the answer is at okay. least many. Two. And so, um, you know, Barry's like, I knew you, you were jealous of us. Like, I'm rich and you're like this fisherman. You had to live this dirt life and now you're taking revenge on us. And Julie calms him down and says, okay, Missy told us about this guy named Billy Blue. She graduated the same year as my sister Elsa. So we're looking through the yearbooks. They cannot find a Billy Blue. And they realize he, this person probably lied about his name, just like how we lied about our names with Missy. So Julie decides to go back alone to Missy's to have her identify Billy Blue um, in the yearbook while Barry's going to go keep watch uh, when Helen is in the parade. So Barry's going to be in the audience, and if Helen sees anything sketchy, he will be there to protect her. Great, because he'll do a great job. It, so we've seen so far, it means he's just going to punch people in the face. Ray, meanwhile, yeah. I think is the only one with a good idea. It's like, if this is all true, let's get the fuck out of town. Yeah, I would just like up and look, like this is pre, you know, aside from the library, like pre-internet, like everybody constantly using yes. it all the time to do everything. So like I would just move, like it would be hard for someone to track you down if you moved to another city and changed your name. Well, unfortunately, Julie's not having it. She's like, I want, I got my life back. I okay. want my life back, Ray, and I'm going to do it. Cut to the 4th of July, the Independence Day Parade. There's fish floats. There's a clamshell. Helen's in a clamshell going down the street. This It's like they shipped in thousands of people to just experience this parade and then sent them right. back to their towns in North Carolina. Yes. Um, meanwhile, Julie goes up to M- Missy's house, which is 
again, in the middle of nowhere, it takes her hours to get there, seemingly, to have her identify this person. She gets to Missy's, and, you know, she starts to sort of, like, spill her guts. And Missy's like, I know what you're going to say. I know my brother killed himself. But I couldn't tell the police that because um, I wouldn't have got his insurance. So if you're here to tell me, oh, you think he killed himself— Believe me, I know, you know. Uh, it's just Whoa. that I, I didn't want that to become public because I the family needed the money. And Julie's like, well, I wasn't going to say that, but why do you think that he did kill himself? And she says, because he left a note. And she hands Julie the note, and the note says, I will never forget last summer. And Julie tells Missy, this isn't a suicide note. This is a death threat. Wait, so she had a note that she she got this, like this same year that that this all was going on. Before David Egan died, he received okay. a note. But Missy, after his death, oh. found the note and thought, okay, oh. he must, I will never forget last summer, he must be so much in grief about I Susie's see. death. This note is a suicide note. Julie says, because she's clocking the uh, handwriting. Yes. She's like, this is not a suicide note. This is a note, he, David didn't write this note. He received this note before his death. This is somebody threatening them that they will remember uh, Susie Willis's death. So there is a completely other different killer at foot that Julie realizes, we didn't kill David Egan. This other person killed David Egan. And Missy, of course, is like, I don't know who the fuck you are. You got to get the fuck out of here. Like, I can't be, first of all, I'm... Not going to tell anyone this because I want that insurance money because you know yeah, death was an accident, world an accident. But also, you can't come up in here and tell me my brother was murdered and like, uh, what do you want me to say to you about right, that? Right? Because you have a note, like yeah. yes. And so Julie realizes, wait a minute, to the beauty pageant, and she drives back. <laughs> and the unfortunate, it seems like the they're driving like much a lot of horror movies. They're driving like five hours each way in the middle of like a crisis. So yes. she is driving. There's no cell phones. She is driving back to town. It's going to take her forever. Meanwhile, Helen, uh, on her route, keeps seeing people. Again, it's a fishing village. A guy in a fisherman's hat, a guy in a slicker. Right. And Barry, like, punches on an old man. Like, if they're just mayhem, you know. They're not Barry really is a loose cannon at best. And finally, at some point, uh, she sees standing on a roof a guy in a rain slicker holding a hook. And so she's like, Barry, I saw this motherfucker on the roof. Like, we got to talk to the police or whatever. And Barry, God bless him. He's a fool. He says, no, I will watch you during the beauty pageant. You're going to be on stage anyways. She has to like sit on the stage. You're going to be totally fine. And Allison, I guess my question is now, based on the information I provided you at this juncture, who okay. will survive? Who will survive? Barry's a goner, probably in the next five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think... Jennifer Love Hewitt will survive. Great. Um, I think that Ray will die. Okay. I think that Sarah Michelle Geller. I'm, you know, we're mixing character names and actress names because they're the I same to me. Straight. I think Sarah Michelle Geller will survive. I think Anne Heche might die. Okay. If she's still in play. Yes. Yeah. Missy is still. Okay. Out chopping fish in her backyard like you do. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's what you do five hours inland. I think these are all excellent guesses. My cat Rachel is the silliest cat I know. One time, she played inside a paper bag for three hours. What a mystery. But I'm glad her health isn't. 
thanks to the color-changing litter from Fresh Step Crystals Health Monitoring Litter. This premium color-changing litter has pH-activated crystals that can help me detect potential illness early. That makes it easy for me to stay on top of her health and well-being. I may not understand all of Rachel's silly quirks, but I can keep up with the important things. Find Fresh Step Crystals Health Monitoring Litter at a store near you. Fresh Step is a registered trademark of the Clorox Pet Products Company. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Act three of I Know You Did Last Summer. So she's speeding back to town. Again, if we had cell phones, she'd be able to just call them and say, hey, here are my concerns. It's not yes. David Egan. It's somebody else that I, we need to figure out who it is. Nothing makes me happier at the evolution of cell phone technology than horror exactly. movies. Uh-huh. It really proves to me, like, look, these things are really bad in so many ways, but they also are good. A hundred percent. So speeding back to town, Helen is in the um, pageant, and she's sitting on the stage, so yes, she is safe. Unfortunately, Barry is up in that um, the balcony that we saw them in a year ago. So it's kind of like a okay. catwalk slash, like, it's like storage up there. So no one else is sitting up there except for him. And he's watching, and Helen has to suffer through, like, all of these absolutely terrible contestants singing, like, the song from Fame. Unfortunately, this girl does not get through her song because Helen glances up just in time to see the killer just fish hook Barry to death up in the balcony. Oh, oh, being gutted has to be one of the worst. I mean, when you think about how to potentially die. I I think being gutted is a top five. Top Top five. five. Fire. Fire. Maybe being gutted. I don't know. Alive. Because these are all alive, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, drowning is something I would put up there. I've heard mm-hmm. that it's terrible. Like, that, or like science has, like, yeah, somebody told me, but like science has proven that like the panic that you feel is like very painful. Um, being it torn apart by an animal, like a tiger, I feel like would be, would be pretty bad. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's in the same general strategy. That's true. It's gutted. a subsidiary of being uh, hooked to death. Yes. Yeah, there's gutted and then there's animal gutted. Anyway, so he gets so, gutted while she's on stage. She tries to run up to the balcony, but everyone seeing her panic stands up and like runs into the aisle, like thinking, like not knowing what's going on. And by so by, t- by the time cop a cop arrives and takes her up to the balcony, both Barry and the killer are gone. And she, there's no proof. We, of course, as audience, see there's blood dripping down the banister. But the cops, like, this is this is some kind of prank. This is ridiculous. Like, and I'm like, can't you at least look around a little bit? Like, turn on right. the house Do a lights bit of for work. God's sake. And he's like, you're just ridiculous, some kind of prank. And she has to, like, sadly give her crown back and is kind of, like, humiliated because now they're going to finish the rest of her pageant. They're just like, you got to go, you know? So the cop says, I will drive you back to your house. Meanwhile, Julie gets home, leaps on her computer, connects to her local library, starts looking at the Mm -hmm. microfiche. And the cop is, like, kind of making fun of Helen because Helen's finally telling him, like, there's a killer after us. A killer killed my ex-boyfriend, you know, I'm still in love with. And he's like... Cap says, oh, I've heard this story before, but the way I heard it, you know, it's an escaped mental patient and they find the hook on the door. You know, it's kind of making fun of this. It's like, well, we were doing that a year ago and look what happened. Exactly. Unfortunately, as they start to drive out of town to take Helen home, they stop because there's a car broken down and Helen does not know, immediately notice that the person who is driving this car is, of course, wearing a rain slicker and a fisherman's hat. 
So when the cop gets out to go help this stranded motorist, Helen has like two seconds before she's like, oh shit, don't do it. The killer immediately just hooks the cop, murders the cop. Is she in the back of the cop car? She is now trapped in the back of a cop car. Back of a cop car is a really great horror device. They really capitalize on the absolute brutality of our police to keep people trapped like that, but it is scary. The cop is murdered, the killer is out and about, and Helen is trapped in the back of this car. Ah. Luckily, she is able to kick in heels hard enough to get out of the passenger side window. So essentially kicks, shatters the window. But then okay. she is on the street running from a killer who, from we can tell, is, you know, huge. has huge, gigantic, has already killed twice in this day. So Julie finally finds the document she needs by accessing her local library. Su- Susie Willis was survived by her father, Benjamin Willis, a local fisherman, okay? So she's okay. like, oh my God, the killer that is after us, it's not David Egan. It is, in fact, Ben Willis. Helen, meanwhile, runs to her family store. Elsa, being okay. a huge bitch as usual, has already locked I up mean, and barely gets the door open for Helen to come inside. And, and Helen's like, I got to call the cops. Like, go lock the door. Unfortunately, Elsa does not make it to the second door in time. The killer hooks Elsa and then drags her body away as Helen is now trapped inside a department store with this guy. She is able to finally make it to the second floor. She is barefoot. She is. She still looks great. She is in. A, she's mean, still in her course. pageant gown. She has to yes. leap from the second story, uh, Texas Chainsaw Murderer style, onto like a pile of broken boards to escape. Oh God! She runs down the alley just as she sees the parade marching by. Based on the scene earlier, the parade has been going for eighteen hours. Yeah, I mean, this is a lot of coverage for a parade. Exactly. I guess they've been going around in a circle, I don't know. And unfortunately, between the fireworks and the parade, which is creating a lot of cacophony, no one can hear her screaming <sighs> as the killer stabs her to death in a pile of tires. Helen, oh you fought valiantly. It's not going to happen. Helen. I really had high hopes for Helen. So Julie, unable to find Helen because, like, the pageant's over, runs to go find uh, Ray on the docks. And she, luckily, she explains what's going on because you do need it at this point. And Julie tells Ray, the person we hit wasn't David Egan. It was Ben Willis. I think Ben Willis killed David Egan, which is why they found David Egan's body in the water three weeks later. I see. But when we hit Ben Willis... He didn't die, and now he is seeking revenge against us for dumping his body, which we did do. We did do that. That's true. They did do that. They did do that. So they didn't actually kill anyone, as it turns out. But yes, he. They, but he, they did yeah. try to. <laughs> so Ray's like, oh my God, that's crazy. Come on my boat. And Julie almost does until she sees the name of Ray's boat, and it's called the Billy Blue. And she realizes that Ray was the person who went to Missy and lied about his name and had an affair with her. And Ray starts chasing Julie and screaming, you don't understand, let me explain. And Ray just gets clotheslined by another fisherman. And Julie's now to this stranger. Julie's like, do you have a phone? And the, and the fisherman's like, yeah, just go on, go on my boat. She, there's a phone inside. As soon as Julie gets inside this boat, she takes a look around. First of all, she sees a hat that she recognized mm-hmm. uh, from her car when mm-hmm. Max's body was in the trunk. And he also has like a full serial killer board of photos of... Uh, Julie and her friends, and a clipping of Susie Willis's death, and then that medallion that says, I love you when it's spin. It just basically says, yes, it's me, Ben Willis, and I am, in fact, the killer. I did it. 
And now the fisherman who clothesline Ray gets on the boat and he throws off the little mooring that's tied to the dock. And she is now trapped at sea with Ben Willis, the man who has been hunting them this entire time. <gasps> Alone. This guy's good. And Ben Willis tells her it's 4th of July. Kids like you should be out having fun, drinking, party, running people over, getting away with murder, things like that. And Julie's a little bit behind us because then she's like, oh, like she finally okay. understands who he is. And then for the rest of the film, it's pretty much just her running through the various rooms in a boat trying to escape death. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, he's got a hook. She gets into the ice room where, you know, they keep the uh, the fish fresh. Turns out that's where he's hiding all the bodies. In case you're like, well, where did he put Elsa or Barry? Threw him in the ice. They're hidden underneath where they keep the fish. But she's, okay. like, scrambling around. There's all these, like, ropes and pulleys. And I don't know much about boats, but you can get killed just walking through a boat is what oh, this no, boats movie are already dangerous if there is no murderer aboard. Luckily, Ray comes to on the boat on the dock, and he jumps in a motorboat, and Ray's able to catch up with the boat and get on the boat. And essentially Good is— for Ray. Fist-fighting Ben Willis, who has, like, grown adult fisherman strength— Right. And at one point, knocks Ray completely off the boat where Ray gets tangled in a rope and has to drag himself back on board. Finally, oh they are all on this boat. They are all fist fighting Ben Willis. And he turns to Julie and he has Julie in his grasp. He says, happy 4th of July. Next time you leave a man for dead, just make sure he's really dead. And unfortunately, this is the hubris of a killer. He swings his hook up to kill her, and he gets his arm tangled in the one of thousands of ropes on this boat. Of course. It's your boat, man. You should know where they are. Exactly. And Ray throws a lever, and Ben Willis is hoisted, screaming into the air. His hand holding the hook is completely chopped off. And his body is sort of flung around wildly like a marionette until the rope flies off the pulley and he is sent screaming into the ocean. Wow. Eventually, luckily, Ray could drive a boat, so they end up back at the dock. And uh, Ray and Julie realize, like, we never actually killed anyone. And Ray's like, I did go talk to Missy, and I did lie about her name, and I did end up dating her, and I didn't tell you because I wanted to go out with you again, which is very sketchy, but, like, okay, I guess you didn't yeah. work colluding with a murderer, I suppose. Right, Yes. And the sheriff comes over and he says, do you have any idea why this guy would want you dead? And simultaneously, Ray and Julie say, no. And that's pretty much it. They find Ben Wills' severed hand with a hook in a fishing net. And the sheriff says, don't worry, the body will turn up. They usually do. And a year later, we see Julie back in college. She's on the dean's list. She's glowy. She's happy. And she's making plans to visit Ray in New York. Unfortunately, her roommate drops off a letter with no postage, and Julie trepidatiously opens it, and it says, Kappa Beta wants to invite you to a pool party this weekend. It's fine. Aww. Unfortunately, she then goes to take a shower in the girls' showers, and it's written on the steam on the glass. It says, I still know. And she turns, and from inside the shower uh, leaps um, a fisherman, which is a weird choice to end the yeah. film on. And apparently yeah. in the original film, she was chatting with Ray online and then somebody messaged her online and says, I still know. And then a fisherman jumps out. It's just a weird choice to have somebody, I get it's the end. You want to leave it on a cliffhanger. I get it's that. Like, so a like, fisherman was in the girl's locker room at her college and nobody noticed. Yeah. Like you would see somebody walk in and be like, well, yeah. what are you doing here? And all of your black rain gear, <laughs> you middle-aged man. In the end, that is the end of I Still Know, or I Know What You Did Last Summer. Wow. 
Well, we'll have to do I Still Know because I know that that yes. got made. Because they absolutely go to a, I believe they go to a tropical resort. And it's clearly just shot like on a set in LA. Like it's just yes. like, like, I don't know, we'll just yes. shoot in someone's backyard. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Get a pool, put the kids in bikinis. It's a movie. Um, so I wanted to do a little segment called What Did You Do That Summer? And I just wanted to share any sort of um, embarrassing summer-related stories you might have. I have one that I will share and will give you okay. time to think of, of any. And I remember going to Girl Scout camp, and it was a lot mm-hmm. of fun. And we would do archery, and it was like hanging out with all my friends. But the, the toilet situation was such that if you had to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, you had to walk through the dead, dark woods— Completely alone, no lights whatsoever, to a porta potty. And so oh, as a result, God. I was constantly like almost peeing my pants that entire like it was like a weekend yes. or something. Because I was like, please, I can't, like something is gonna eat me. I cannot do this. And I remember finally take going with my friend and um letting her go first. And she turns, she co- goes to the porta potty, she comes back out, she's like, I can't find the toilet. And I laughed so hard that I peed my pants. But then everybody found out about it because I had to go back and, like, have pee pants. <laughs> and um, it still is one of the funniest things someone's ever said to me, where someone's like, I, I just can't find it. And I don't know what she meant. I guess she just assumed it was too dark is what she meant. But the shame yeah. of having to go back into that cabin full of, like, a dozen girls yes. and be like, well, in case you spell pee, it was me. I peed my pants. And that was sort of my whole weekend um, after that. And it just really brings me back. Allison, do you have any? Yeah. I remember memories? I was I was a, a teenager at this point, but I my dad and I did like a sailing program because like Aww. Annapolis sailing. And it was just kind of like learning how to like the basics of sailing and like taking out little little sailboats and like there was like an instructor and like maybe like four or five other people and like me and my dad. And like I I had a pair of sunglasses um that Somewhere along the way, I had also lost, even though we were only in a classroom and then a boat. So, like, I don't know where that happened. But I also got my period in a way, oh, like, no. oh no, and was not prepared. And like, as a kid, like, you also like never know to like just always have a tampon, just always have a tampon. And like, yeah. it was just like a bunch of men and like my dad, who I like also didn't want to be like, I got my period. And like, Aww. it was like definitely like I was wearing like dark shorts, but there, there was like a little bit of light on them. And then like that's where and I was just like in the bathroom like scrubbing them. And Aww. then my dad was like. And then my dad was like, are you just, like, super upset that you lost your sunglasses? Like, super mad at me about, like, being, like, I was like, I don't want to go. I want to go home. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> and I was like, he was like, are you mad you lost your sunglasses? And I was like, yes, that's it. That's what I'm mad about. Like, he had Aww. no idea. Um, and it was devastating. Did you ever tell him? No. I guess if he ever listens to this, he'll know. <laughs> he won't. Wow. Um, no, I was just like, uh, my sunglasses. <laughs> that's devastating. I don't know. No, I was like that's, 15, a wonder, that's a wonderful memory. 14 or 15. Um, it's humiliating at any age. If it happened now, I'd be like, I need to go home. My sunglasses, <laughs> it's that. I got to go. Yes. I would never own a pair of white pants or even light colored pants. Just, you know, no. it's just not worth it. I did buy a pair of like off-white, like canvassy jeans this year. And I'm just like, I guess I could, there's like one week a, a month where I will feel comfortable in these. Right, yeah. You could do it immediately afterwards. Yeah, one week and then that's it. You get and one the rest, week. you just don't know. It's the, it's the inverse of what your period actually is. And really, shouldn't you be wearing white jeans more than that? I think no. once every four no. weeks seems that's reasonable. That's true. That's that's nature's way of keeping us all in check, style-wise. So, Allison, would you say um, there were any fatal mistakes that anyone made if they come to mind? And um, I know what you did last summer. Fatal mistakes. I mean, we're gonna. I'll say it again. Not 
not immediately telling the authorities when you just hit someone um, and mm-hmm. trying to throw them in the sea to to get away with it. But I would also say Barry not telling yeah. them that he saw the guy's eyes open is is arguably as big as them not telling the cops when they hit him. Yeah, I think Barry, it's like, okay, you're driven by the fact like you don't want to embarrass your rich family and you don't want your like wonderful life to be ruined. But you have to consider the al- the alternative, which is that you know, like, your entire life could fall apart at any moment when somebody finds out about this. So it's like, you're not really outsmarting the system by lying. You are just prolonging Mm -hmm. the dread and horror you're going to live in. That being said, yeah, I mean, Barry made mistakes. Everything Barry did was a mistake. He, They could have gone to the— Also, the cops would have been like, you didn't kill this person. Right. Because we know they didn't, you know? Right. That was not what happened, but— um, yeah, I think, I think they all made them initial mistake. And, and that's, that's the lesson of horror is once you make that initial yeah. mistake, there's no going there's back. There's no coming back. Yeah. There's no coming back. And uh, to be fair, they kind of did get away with it, you know? Like, no one yeah. will ever know that they hit somebody and they dumped him in the water. Right. Though, I mean, two of them died. Yes, so. but two of them lived. Ah, to be the one of those two. That's, yes. That's you got, the that's goal. Where, the brunettes win. The brunettes win. That is also finally. the moral of a lot of horror movies. Yeah. If you're yeah, a brunette and you're a not a huge for slut, the yes. yeah, we will take it. And uh, finally, um, Allison, where would you put? I know we did last summer on the spooky scale. A spooky scale. I mean, this movie is so fun. Yeah. Do I think it's super spooky? I think I, I think I'd give it a five. Okay. Great. What about you? Where would you? rank it on our super scientific scale. I love this movie. I would say a three. I don't find it yeah. scary. It, it's just fun. It's just pure popcorn, seen in the theater with a yes. bunch of your friends, scream, laugh. Is yes. it really, Is it going to set a chill up your spine? Absolutely not, you know? But that's also what's fun about this era of horror movies is that it was, there, it's more of like a murder mystery or it's, you know, there's sort of a whodunit element to yes. it rather than, you're actually going to be scared. It's sort of like, yeah, like PG-13 slasher movies. Yeah. It's like, it's like more like, all. It, I feel like this is in the world where we often discuss like horror versus thriller. Like this is almost more of a thriller. Yes. Even though it is like a horror movie. Yeah. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, we hope you had a wonderful 4th of July. I hope everyone yes. at your barbecue enjoyed hearing this. Yeah, I'm sure you guys are like stuffed with burgers and hot dogs and, oh and God, grilled veggie so skewers. Good. I know. It's like all I want now is like grilled food. And, uh, you know, you all got to enjoy this and now you'll get to watch some fireworks. And we really, we're, we're glad we got to spend this holiday with you. Um, and again, we are t- bringing this to you from the past because we are recording yes. this slightly before the holiday. But we will see you um, on Tuesday as we always do. So um, yes. until then, we love you very much. You're very, very we love you. We're very, you're very good listeners. Uh, as always, you could email us at ruined at the radio point dot com. Yeah. And, and you um, can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at uh, ruined podcast and uh, send us recommendations, questions, concerns, fun facts, anything you want. We're here for you. And until next time, please. You must. Keep it spooky. Keep it spooky. Ruined is a Radio Point production with executive producers Alex Bach, Sabrina Fonfetter, and Houston Snyder. Recorded and edited by Kat Iosa. Making my cat happy is my number one priority, and Fresh Step Out Stretch Litter helps me do just that. Meet Mr. Mittens. Mitty, for short. Ah! 
Mitty is happiest when his litter box is clean and fresh. And Fresh Step Outstretch is amazing at absorbing waste and odor. We sure have found our common ground, haven't we? Happy cat, happy life. Find Fresh Step Outstretch at a store near you. Fresh Step is a registered trademark of the Clorox Pet Products Company. Certain trademarks used under license from the Procter & Gamble Company or its affiliates.